Uh, Diane, if you're ready and rolling. Authority, the gift of authority, part four. Luke 10 and 19, Jesus said, Behold, I give you authority over all of the power of the enemy. The devil may seem to have abilities or powers, but Jesus said, I give you something better. I give you authority over all his power so that you can walk among snakes and scorpions and crush them and nothing will injure you. So the greatest gift that God gave to us through Jesus is the return of our authority as the sons and daughters of the Most High God. And that's why Jesus, when the centurion, not even a Jewish guy, but a, but a Roman centurion, uh, sent messengers to Jesus when his, his servant, his beloved servant, was at home near death uh, to have Jesus healing. And so Jesus said, well, I'll, I'll come to his house and I'll pray, for, I'll pray over a servant and heal him. And as Jesus was coming to the house, he sent out other messenger, and the other messenger said, uh, you don't need to come to my house. Um, I'm unworthy, but just speak the word from where you stand, and my servant will be made whole. I know this, the centurion said, because I'm a man under authority. I'm in a chain of command, and I have soldiers unto me. And when I say to them, go, they go, and come, and they come. So just speak the word, Jesus. And Jesus was so taken back by that, he said, I haven't found faith like this in all Israel because this is faith based in authority, not faith based in religion. So one of the most important things in your life is to be a man or a woman of authority. Know that you have authority with God. Your authority in Christ is the key to your knowing who you are and growing into whatever God has for you and accomplishing it. This morning I want to share about the authority of grace. The authority of grace. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 9 is a story of the Apostle Paul who through his missionary journeys and through his ministry, he began to notice a pattern that had that a demon, a demon spirit was following him everywhere he went. Trouble would break out, hassles would break out. I mean, extraordinary um, uh, plots were unleashed against him. It just was more than what is normal. And he realized that there was, there was interference in his life from Satan. So it's the story of him writing to the Corinthians and saying three times, I asked the Lord to take this away from me. Take this demonic attack away from me. Now let me read you the one section where he talks about what God said to him. 2 Corinthians 12, 9. Each time the Lord said to me, my grace is all you need. Say that with me. My grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So now I'm glad to boast about my weakness so that the power of Christ can work through me. Now, <clears throat> most people have misunderstood this verse. Heck, most pastors have misunderstood it and preached it wrong. Usually the way this verse gets interpreted is something like this. I know you're being hassled by the devil 
He has assigned a demon to hassle you. Everywhere you go, there's pro trouble, there's tribulation that breaks out. Some people say that uh, it was some eye disease and, and uh, he couldn't see. And, and the way they interpret this is that when he went to God three times and said, Lord, enough, I wanted to see an end to this, that God simply said to him, the Lord simply said to him, look, just, uh, just chill out, uh, just calm down and accept it. My grace is enough for you. It's enough that I love you. I've put my spirit in your life and uh, you've got enough with me to just get through this. So hang on, chill out. Now you don't have to raise your hand, but really, isn't that what many of you thought this meant? And that's what most people say that it means. Nothing, not only could be farther from the truth, but a lie. What a complete lie that is. Because God was never saying, to the Apostle Paul, just endure this, my grace will get you through. But God was calling on Paul to fight back from the position of grace. When he said, my grace is enough for you, he was saying, my grace is enough for you to break this oppression. My grace is enough for you to rebuke this spirit. My grace is the fighting position from which you can react in this situation and be victorious. Grace isn't spiritual passivity. Grace is spiritual aggression. We think of grace as a relaxation. We think of it as a, as a sitting back and just chilling and taking it easy because God's got everything. How many of you honestly have, got, have had some sort of a thought like that in your mind when you've thought about grace? Grace isn't permission to live with what you can't change. And that's what people think grace is. They think that it's permission from God to live with what you can't change. A great big lie. Grace is the power to change what you can't live with. When you are disgusted, when you're fed up, when you've had all you can take, you know this is the enemy, and you can't live with it, you're not gonna live with it, but there's nothing you by yourself can do about it. Grace is the power to change what you can't live with. Not permission to live with what you can't change. Does that make sense to anybody? Hallelujah. In 1 Corinthians 15.10, Paul's talking about grace and the impact that it's had on his life. Listen carefully. Again, this is a verse that is highly misinterpreted and really used by the enemy in the mouth of teachers and preachers and pastors who are well-intentioned. They're trying to comfort people, but they're comforting them with a carnal, defeat-oriented comfort because they don't believe that God has given us authority over all of the power of the enemy. That's what Jesus said. So they encourage their people to put up with the devil to put up with the things that are going on. And that's somehow God's plan. And God is using the devil, using Satan, using oppression to help develop maturity in you. That's like my dad, when I was five, six, seven years old, little cantankerous, became maybe a little rebellious or disobedient. My dad would send me down to the local jail and tell the jailer to put me in jail with a, a molester 
and that'll teach, let them spend a weekend there, and that'll develop it. That'll teach them a lesson. You think God turns you over to Satan for your maturity, for your development? Is that, you know, we, people should go to court and to prison for that kind of thinking. But we teach that stuff. People think those things. So listen to what Paul said about grace. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. Let me stop right there and say, he's not saying this. He's not saying, look, take me as I am. What I am, I am by the grace of God. God allows me to be this way. Warts and all, faults and all, sins and all, grace allows me to be this way. So I am what I am by the grace of God. That's nonsense. Listen, this is what Paul is saying. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. He's saying, I am the man that grace is making. I am what I am by the grace of God. I'm not what I was. I'm what grace is making. Somebody say, praise the Lord. So Paul says, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace towards me was not in vain. Grace can be in vain. But Paul says, in my case, grace was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder. Everyone say, I worked harder. On the contrary, grace was not in vain in me. I worked harder than any of them, though, though it was not I, but the grace of God that was with me. So Paul said, I worked harder than any of the other apostles. I did more than they did. I prayed more than they prayed. I cast out more devils, healed more sick, raised more dead, preached more gospel. Whatever they did, I did more. And he said, but it was not me in the flesh. It was what? Grace. Listen to me. Grace is not settling. Grace is working harder. Grace is working harder. People that say, oh, praise God, you know, the Lord said, you know, I'm under grace. If you're under grace, I ought to see you working harder. Don't tell me you're under grace and you're not working, outworking everybody else. If you're under grace, you ought to be outworking everybody else. You ought to be out preaching everyone else. You ought to be out witnessing every. You ought to be out prophesying everybody. If you're walking in grace, then you are not settling. You're not resting. You're not sitting down. You are moving. And you are working harder than everybody else. Come on, somebody. Hallelujah. This kind of interpretation is exactly why Satan fights so hard to knock grace out of you and replace it with condemnation. Because grace confidently acts with God's authority. That's what grace is. Grace jumps up and fights back. And so the subtitle of this message this morning is Grace Fights Back. Grace doesn't lay down when the devil fights you. Grace fights back. Hallelujah. Somebody say praise the Lord. Jesus called you to victory. He didn't call you to defeat. He didn't call you to embrace defeat. He didn't call you to be defeated. He didn't call you to simmer in your failures. Are you going to fail? Is there anyone here who doesn't fail? 
So anybody here doesn't make mistakes? Anyone here? The Bible says the righteous fall seven times, but guess what? They jump back up. Amen. That frog doesn't stay in the boiling pot of water. I'm sorry, but that stupid analogy doesn't work on Christians. If they find themselves in a pot of boiling water, honey, they jump out. Grace jumps out. Grace works harder. Grace fights back. Grace doesn't sit around saying God will do it. Grace says God did do it, so I'm going to get busy. God did do it, and he gave me the victory. So I'm going to go enforce that victory. Satan fights so hard against the grace of God to knock it out of you and replace it with condemnation. You know why? Because grace confidently acts in God's authority. But condemnation always settles in defeat. Think about it. The last time you were in a dull, listless, lifeless mood, you were feeling condemned, you had done some stupid things, it was your own fault, what feeling did that leave you with? Lack of authority. You felt all your, you were not feeling in touch with authority. You were feeling in touch with defeat. Listen, you and I are going to sin, we're going to make mistakes. I'm not encouraging you to do it. I'm not giving you a license to do it. You want to know why? Because you'll do it without my permission. And you'll sin without a license. You don't need, people are crazy like that. I'm crazy like that. So, I, you know, I am not giving you a license to sin, but I'm telling you, you're going to sin. You're going to make mistakes. You're going to do stupid things. Do you understand what I'm saying to you? It's going to happen. What you're going to, what you're going to do next is you're going to repent. You're going to go to God. You know why repentance is quick? Because God doesn't want you to simmer in that boiling pot of condemnation. Repent and hop back to your feet. I mean hop, jump. Get out from under that thing right now. And I'm, not, I'm, I'm absolutely serious. We, we feel like we need, to, we need to simmer under that condemnation a while because what we did was really dumb. And that, that's the only way I'm going to learn my lesson is I've got to be ground down by condemnation. You know, that kind of thinking is based in a lack of faith that what Jesus did on Calvary's cross was enough to forgive you. That somehow you've got to punish yourself. You do God absolutely no good on your back, listless and defeated in condemnation. You do, there's nothing you can do for Jesus. It doesn't help the kingdom, doesn't help you. The Lord says you've repented. Glory, about. get back on your feet. Hop up, come on, get back in the fight. Amen? Amen. Praise the Lord. Genesis chapter 3 verse 1 is the story of when, the, when Satan robbed Adam and Eve of their authority. Listen to it, verse 1. Now the serpent was shrewder than any of the wild animals that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, listen to this, is it really true that God said you must not eat of any tree in the, in the garden? When Satan plants a question in your head about what God has said to you or what God has said about you, just know he's coming after your authority. That's what he wants. We think that the devil messes with us because he's trying to, trying to break our relationship with God. He doesn't care about your relationship with God as long as you don't start showing up using God's authority. Satan doesn't care about how many people go to church. 
Satan don't care about how many people got Bibles and read them. As long as no authority starts flowing in your life. He is not trying to interfere with your relationship with God. He doesn't waste his time on things that he knows he can't do. Your relationship with God is because Jesus is holding on to you. So the devil never attacks that. People think, oh, he's, he's trying to get me to backslide. Oh, he's, he's trying to rip me from God. Paul said, neither height nor depth, things past, things present, things in the future, no demons, nothing can separate me from the love of God in Christ Jesus. The devil is not attacking your relationship with God. Grow up. He's not attacking your relationship. He's after your authority. He saw in Adam and Eve that they had what he wanted, authority. God created Adam and Eve. He said, rule over the earth, have dominion. And the devil said, that's exactly what I want. And so he knew, I'll just talk Adam and Eve out of it. So he goes to, and he knows exactly the crowbar. He knows exactly the tool to use to pry that authority away from them. They got that authority because God spoke it to them. I give you authority. Have dominion. And so the devil knew, oh, I can talk that authority right out of them with words just like God talked it into them. If I can lie to them and they can believe a lie, the moment they believe that lie, their authority is gone. And I have captured it. They become my servants instead of God's servants. And so every time the devil gets in your head and says, are you really called? Does God really love you? Does the Lord really want you to witness to people? Is the Lord really saying that you should lay hands on the sick or that you should desire for God to use you in a mighty way or, or anything, anything pertaining to God's plan and purpose in your life? That doubt, that suggestion is there because Satan's after your authority. He doesn't care if you keep coming to church. He doesn't care as long as you don't use authority. As long as you're not casting out devils. As long as you're not binding the enemy. As long as you are not stopping Satan's work against your family, against your home, and against you. He does not want to see Christians operating in authority. In Luke chapter 4, Jesus has been 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness right? Fasting. Satan's been dogging him the whole time. The fast comes to an end, but he hasn't eaten yet. Forty days are over with, and Satan comes to him three final times and hits him three times with really intense temptations. This third attack from Satan, I want to read it specifically to you. I know that you're familiar with it, but I want you to listen to the words. And the devil took Jesus up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time and said to him, I will give all this authority and their glory to you, for it has been given to me, and I give it to whoever I want. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours." Jesus answered him, It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Bam! He hit Satan with a gut punch that knocked him into next week. 
At that moment, the Bible says Satan fled from him for a season. I believe Satan fled from him, not because Satan ran out of stuff to tempt him with. I believe he fled from him because that was the knockout punch. He dropped, kicked the devil into next week. Praise the Lord. Devil couldn't come around for about a week. Listen, I want to break down what happened. That final temptation, the Bible says that he took Jesus up. This was a spiritual experience. One of the translations says he took him up in a high mountain. Those words are thus just there to let you know that he was lifted up to a high place and he saw in an instant all of the empires and the kingdoms of the world. I don't believe that this was just some of the towns and cities in that area. I don't believe it was um, some supernatural way of just seeing the kingdoms of the world at that moment. I believe he showed him all of the empires and civilizations of the world that would come throughout history. And he said, all of this is mine. I have acquired it. It has been given to me. And whoever I give it to can have it. Now, I want you to know that the devil was lying through his teeth. He does not have all the kingdoms of the world. He does not own the world. The world belongs to God. The earth is the Lord and everything in it. The kingdoms of the world act like sometimes Satan's running them because the people in those positions of authority have so cooperated through their lifetime that they have become really good servants. They're tools in the devil's hands. Lots of unsaved people can resist the devil. Satan doesn't have access to just possess people and run their lives because they're not saved. He must get people to yield their will, get inside their head, and yield their actions. The more they act in compliance with what Satan wants, the more they lose their own personal authority and will, and the more they become slaves to Satan. And that's how you get the Gadarean demoniac who was out of his mind and bound with chains in the mountains. For whatever reason, this man had gradually yielded himself over and over so much until Satan, he lost control of his mind and Satan controlled him. So Satan has to control your mind before he can control you. So when the devil says, the earth is the Lord's and all these kingdoms are mine, he says, Jesus, he's lying through his teeth. He doesn't control them. By the way, just a little sidestep. This is why we are trying to be the salt of the earth. And we are trying to speak to people, not only the gospel of Jesus Christ, but we're also trying to be examples of what is good versus what is evil. Because the more people choose to think and act on what is evil, the more Satan gains authority over the sphere of the influence of their lives. The more the U.S. Congress, the more the judicial system in America, the more the Supreme Court, the more the various legislative bodies around our country are filled with men and women who think wicked, believe lies, think evil, the more power Satan gains over those states, cities, and governments. 
There is a battle, a real battle going on. So no, Satan does not rule the world. He's called the prince of the power of the air because he's floating through the atmosphere. His words and suggestions, his lies and uh, trying constantly. When you find somebody who's really oppressed, you know how you know somebody's really oppressed? They've got a mantra. Oppressed people always have a mantra. They always go back to the same thing. They're a one-trick pony. It's stuck inside their head. They say the same thing over and over and over. They always go back to it. No matter what you say to them, they, their default position is they go back to the lie. You try to tell them about Jesus, they go back to the lie. It's stuck in their head. It's been stuck there over time. That's how Satan gets control of people. So back to Jesus' confrontation with the devil. The devil says, all these kingdoms are mine. I will give them to you if you will worship me. People, do you notice in Jesus' answer, he never said a thing about that lie concerning the authority. Jesus never said, oh, wait a minute. I have authority. You don't have authority. I have authority. You don't tell me. I tell you. Jesus never got down on that silly level with the devil. You want to know why? Because Satan's lie was so absurd that Jesus refused to be drawn into a conflict with the devil over something he didn't need to argue with the devil about. The authority Jesus had was an absolute eternal concrete fact that didn't need to be defended. Don't ever get into it with the devil, trying to defend yourself when you don't have to. Jesus said nothing, and you know Satan wanted Jesus to talk to him about the, that authority. He would have loved it if Jesus said, oh, you don't, you don't own these kingdoms. These kingdoms, well, I have authority, you don't have authority. The devil wants to draw you into dialogue. That's how wicked people are. You ever notice that? Wicked people, they always want a dialogue. Righteous people are simple. They just say, this is what is, period, dot, end of sentence. You don't like it? Live with it? Lump it? I'm moving on. What? You're, we're not going to talk about it? No, we're not going to talk about it. If that's what you want to believe, believe it. Do you understand what I'm saying? Satan is constantly getting you to talk. He said to Eve, come on, let's, let's talk. Did God really, you know, what he, you know what Eve's first sin was? Answering. That's where, that's where the fall began, answering. Don't answer him. It'll drive him out of his mind. He can't stand it when you won't dialogue with him. Jesus refused to argue with the devil about his authority. And that was a gut punch to Satan. His lie was so stupid and immature, Jesus wouldn't even, because the devil knew Jesus has all authority. Jesus owns all those kingdoms. No matter how corrupt they are, no matter how much the devil's running the people that run those kingdoms, Jesus is like, you're on a short fuse. I've got you on a short leash. That authority's mine. I'm sorry. He didn't even respond. The grace knows what to avoid. That's why you need to know that your authority is the grace of God. Grace knows what you don't need to argue about. You don't need to get into a fighting match over. Grace just 
the one thing Jesus said was, worship you, you shall worship the Lord your God. Thus says the Lord. He spoke the scripture. Grace will always use the word because grace knows that the word of God is the line in the sand Satan can't cross. The Bible says the word of God cannot be broken. Satan's a liar. He'll always try to get you to debate about the word of God and he'll want to twist it to create some door in your mind. He can't really break the scriptures. He can't make anything that God has said not true. But what he'll do is he'll try to open a door in your interpretation of things. He'll try to put a little door of doubt in you about what God has said. That's why Jesus did not dialogue with the devil. He just said, it is written. You don't need to argue. Just, it is written. There's the word. Bam! And Satan just ran off, screaming into the night. Grace is the hilltop that God has set you on. And Satan is constantly fighting to lure you off that hill because he knows that he really has no power to kick you off that hill. He's got to lure you. He's got to coax you off of it. If you'll stand on the hill of the word of God and refuse to be talked off of it, you've already won. The devil's already lost. Just refuse to be anything less than what grace says that you are. Don't dispute the devil about it. And if, you do, if you're on top of that hill and you do stupid things, don't believe for a minute that you've rolled down that hill. That hill is a position God's put you in called grace. Now, grace doesn't make your stupid mistakes okay. And grace doesn't make your sins okay. What grace does is it keeps you in the position where if you fall down, you can get back up. Grace is eternal do-overs because the Lord is not going to lose you. Period. If you decide, I'm not going to listen to the devil, then he's already defeated. You're on your way. Praise God. So, Resist Satan in the grace that God has planted in you. In other words, grace knows exactly what to ignore and not get tangled up with, as I said before. And grace uses the word because Satan cannot dispute the word of God. That's why it says in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, my grace is all you need. That's what God was saying to the Apostle Paul. He's saying, I know a messenger of Satan is buffeting you. I didn't send him. You've got the authority. You do something about it. Um, let me give you a parallel. Moses has got the children of Israel. They've escaped out of Egypt. They're standing on the banks of the Red Sea. And here come the chariots of Moses, uh, the chariots of Pharaoh. And uh, barreling down on them, Moses is starting to get freaked out. And he's standing there and all the children of Israel are crying after him and saying, we're, we're all going to be wiped out. We've got the Red Sea. And Moses starts praying, crying out to God. God answers him. Does anybody here know what God said to him? God said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Use the stick. I mean, that's a little bit of interpretation, but read it. Why are you crying to me? I gave you the rod, use it. 
Moses said, oh yeah. He stuck the rod out and lifted up his hands and the Bible said, bam, the Red Sea started to open up. Authority, authority. Hallelujah. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. My grace is all you need. I have given you authority. Walk in it. Use it. Yield to it. Let me say a couple of things about grace. Grace isn't about how you feel. Grace is about how you are. Amen. Grace isn't a drug that that God gives you so that you can ignore the pain of what's wrong in your life. Grace is the authority to use his power to correct what's wrong in your life. That's grace. I'm so tired of hearing Christians when they're, when they're talking about their, their sins and their patterns of weakness. I, heck, I get sick of hearing it in my own head. Saying, oh, well, you know, um, when God gets around to it, this is grace. God's dealing with me and everything. No, what's really going on, and God's already dealt with you and set you free, you're just not doing anything about it. Grace is the power to do something about what's wrong. It's not a drug to live with what's wrong. Grace isn't the ability to feel better while your oppression stays the same. Grace is the right to use God's authority to break the oppressor and to bring your condition back into alignment with his will. If you're out of the will of God, grace is the authority to step back into the will of God. The Bible says the gifts and callings of God are without God changing his mind. That's what it means when it says without repentance. It means God called you to something. That call stays open for the rest of your life. So if you surrender something that God has put in your heart, you give it up because you think you failed, that's not God keeping you from fulfilling it. That's you quitting the pursuit of it. You've let Satan talk you into defeat. Grace is the right to use God's authority to break the oppressor and bring your condition back into alignment with God's will. So grace is not a peacetime benefit. It is a weapon of war in a world of spiritual conflict. Grace is you exerting the authority that God has given you over the realm of your stewardship. If you're a wife or a husband, if you're a mother or a father, you have a stewardship. If you have a job, you have a stewardship. There's a realm that's your area of operation. That's your life. Those are the relationships you have. God considers your life and the sphere of your influence the territory of his kingdom. Did you know that? He considers the influence of your life his kingdom. And he believes he has the right to um, assert his will over the area of the operation of your life. That's why your life is a stewardship. It's just making sense with anybody. Everything about your life belongs to God. And your area of operation belongs to God. He wants to see the kingdom operating. The kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. Guess who determines whether your life is filled with the kingdom of God? Not God. He already made the determination. You do. I have given you authority 
You go possess the land. Can you say praise the Lord? I don't know about you, but this, this is exciting to me, praise the Lord, because if Christians start thinking of themselves as God's authority in the life that they're living, you're starring in the book about your life. It's a book about the kingdom of God and the territory of the kingdom. Everywhere you go, just like God said to Joshua, the sole of your foot treads upon ground that belongs to God, and it, by extension, belongs to you. You should possess it. Oh, yeah, you're going to have to fight some fights. Yes, you're going to have to deal with the enemy. Yes, you're going to make mistakes. It doesn't make it any less your territory. It belongs to God, belongs to you. You share it together. Praise God. Christians who walk in grace... Walking in grace for a Christian means that you are aggressively probing the areas of your operation looking for any demonic insurgency. And wherever you find it, wherever it's discovered, you unleash the will and the word of God with authority and Satan flees. That's what a Christian is. Hallelujah. Grace goes to work binding, loosing, taking hold of the things that God has assigned to you. Grace is authority. I want to close with this thought. How many, I don't have the time to really read it all. I'm going to read a little excerpt. How many remember the story of, of Daniel when he has a great vision God gives him, the prophet Daniel in the Old Testament? And he's seeking God. He's praying for interpretation. And, and an angel of the Lord is dispatched from the throne of God to bring the interpretation of the dream to Daniel. But for 21 days, he fasts for 21 days while that angel fights with the demon mayor or governor of the empire of Persia. Do you know that every empire, every city, every municipality has a demon that has been assigned over it? Some of those posts are bad posts for demons because they get beat up all the time. The Christians in those areas are strong and they, they beat those devils up and those devils are always putting in for lighter duty. They all want to be sent to Chicago. They all want to go to New York or LA, San Francisco, Portland, all the devils. You know why those cities are getting worse and worse? Not only because the devil's got a game that's working. He just keeps getting more and more people to get into those seats of authority who let Satan have his way. But I believe demons from Florida are screaming for relief and they want to be reassigned. We can I at least get a year in New York. See what I'm saying? So all the devils are piled up in New York City and in Chicago, in the mayor's office. That's why they got, that's why all those places have nuts running. You think, how's that, how's that guy the governor of California? How's that person the mayor of Chicago? And they just got rid of one imbecile, and now they've got one that's twice as bad. How's that happen? Are those people not learning? No. No, they're not learning. The demons are piling up in those areas. I know you're laughing, you're thinking, oh, God, he's off, he's off. He's off. No, no, no. But, so Daniel has this dream. He starts seeking God for the answer. 
And this angel finally, after 21 days, shows up with the interpretation. Listen to what the angel said to Daniel. Don't be afraid, Daniel. Since the first day you begin to pray for understanding and to humble yourself before your God, your request had been heard in heaven. And I have come to answer your prayer. But for 21 days, the demon principality of the kingdom of Persia, where you live, blocked my way. Then Michael, the archangel, came and helped me. So the archangel Michael comes down and helps this angel fight against the demon prince over Persia. And I left Michael there with the spirit prince of the kingdom of Persia. And so that I could come now and explain to you what will happen in your people's near future. For this vision concerns a time yet to come. And then he said, when I leave here, the demon prince of Greece is rising and I will have to go battle with him. Guess what empire rose up and ruled the world after the empire of Persia collapsed? The Grecian Empire. See these nations rising and falling? So here's Daniel. He is praying. He's seeking God. God sends an angel, but the demon power over the, over the empire where Daniel is the prime minister He's the prime minister, and he's praying. 21 days, that angel's fighting, trying to get through to Daniel. Now, this is Old Testament. We have a higher level of authority that Jesus has given us. He said, you tread on scorpions and serpents. You can bind the enemy. You want to know why the Christian church exploded and took off and captured the Roman Empire and then spread around the world? Because of our authority. Christians using authority... Christians using authority are responsible for that rapid growth. What I want to do in sharing that story with you about Daniel is I want to tell you your life is like Daniel. God wants to do things in your life. And there, there are people God is speaking to to come and help you. There are people God's speaking to to, to open doors for you. You're asking God for things. God has already put in motion the answers for you. But it's out there occurring in a world where demons are operating. Are you listening to me? There is spiritual battles going on. God could have dispatched that help to you a week ago. What's the holdup? What's going on? I thought God was totally in control. That's why he gave you his grace. Grace is the right to use his authority. Paul said, I am what I am by the grace of God. He, he complained to God. Come on. Three times he complains. This, this demon keeps following me around. God says, use the grace. Use the gun I gave you. Stop crying out to me. Stop complaining. He wasn't saying stop praying. He was saying stop praying about this and speak to the mountain. Use your authority. So I'm going to close with this one thought. In your little sphere of influence, in your life, God has said, That's, that is my section, my sector of the kingdom 
in Glenn's life. God wants to bring support and help. That means Glenn needs to get busy praying for people he hasn't met, praying for circumstances he doesn't even know about. You need to start interceding and using your authority in prayer to pray for help from God for the people God has raised up to help you. You see, the devil gets all of us isolated in our own little circle. It's all about, Lord, help me, my family, and all. But we don't realize God wants to use the body. God is wanting to bring alliances and make connections. Are you praying for those connections? Are you praying for the people that, that are supposed to bring financial help to you, that are supposed to bring relational help to you? The person that has a word of wisdom to give to you, or the person that has the key to opening a door that you've been, been seeking God about? Have you been praying that they will get to you, that they will come to you? No. Because you think that God's just going to drop it all on you. It doesn't work like that. God brings parts. He says, the eye can't say to the foot, I don't need you. The spleen says, oh, I, I need the kidney. God makes the body move through the different parts. Grace works harder. Grace fights back. And people of grace live exciting lives. God's constantly interconnecting them with people that are bringing pieces in. That's how God's answering that prayer. That's how, the, that's how your little city is working. Somebody say, praise the Lord. All right. I've just beaten a dead horse if I keep going, but you get the idea. Hallelujah. I'd like you to stand up and come and join me down at the Jehovah Jireh prayer table. We are going to gather around, and Giselle's going to um, start us off as we pray.